everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. And during the next two weeks, we have our Outstanding Women in Hockey series. So we're bringing on four amazingly accomplished women in the game of hockey. Today, we are bringing on Nicole Hensley. On Wednesday, we are going to have Hockey Canada royalty, Jaina Hefford. Next week, we have University of Minnesota Duluth head coach, Maura Kroll, who also coaches USA Under-18s. And following her, we're going to have Teresa Feaster, who just got named to the men's world junior staff for Team USA. So just some incredible women. We want to be at the forefront of promoting the game of hockey uh, and especially women's hockey. So bringing these four women on, uh, we are extremely, extremely, extremely excited. Uh, this series is sponsored by the PWHPA, the Professional Women's and Hockey Players Association, and they are doing incredible, incredible things right now uh, for the game of hockey and for women's hockey as a whole. Um, they are uh, the brains behind the Dream Gap Tour, who is going around the country right now uh in u.s and canada and and just some amazing hockey players uh the best hockey players in the world and uh and they're promoting their game and, and doing a fantastic job of it but uh today we're bringing on nicole hensley who jeff is very 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 close to he is her trainer and she actually trains with him uh, as a trainer as well but a little bit about nicole she grew up in colorado played her college hockey at lindenwood university and what an incredible story that was in and of itself uh while she was there she won the presidential NCAA NCAA award uh, for her academics in hockey. She was an All-American. And after that, she's won two world championships with Team USA. She's won two Four Nations Cup. And she won the gold medal in Pyeongchang in the 2018 Olympics as a goaltender for Team USA as well. So such an accomplished player, even better person. And uh, Vex, I got to imagine you're pretty excited to have her on our first podcast here today. Absolutely. I mean, I, I can't say enough good things about Nicole. She probably like is just so annoyed that like whenever she walks in a room, I give her like the biggest entrance. I'm like, gold medalist coming through. <laughs> <laughs> like she, she's definitely embarrassed every time that like we're hanging out or we're, we're at her. But uh, I mean, I'm just so proud of her and it's so cool. Like she's the most humble human ever. And no one would ever know that she has a gold medal and she's accomplished all these things. And, uh, you know, when she comes in the gym, I just want the other athletes to know, like you're in the gym with like a superstar. Like there's no, there's no higher award in hockey than the gold medal. I mean, the Stanley cup's amazing, but gold medals are only given out once every four years. And then the Stanley cup's given out every year. I mean, the, the, the Olympic games when NHL players are allowed are the best of the best. And it's the same with the women. It's only the best of the best. So, I mean, it's, it's very cool. And she deserves all the tire pumping that I give her. <laughs> well, she was unreal on this podcast, man. Like she is not only is she accomplished and, and, uh, and a great athlete, but what an ambassador for the sport. What a well thought out person. Um, I mean, you see her in the gym and on the ice every day and what a hard worker, but just her passion oozes out of her, not just about the game of hockey, but for bettering the game of hockey for all the girls that are coming up 
right now. And I think that's one of the coolest things in, in being a partner with the PWHPA for this outstanding women in hockey series is what they are doing. And, and Nicole explains it really well on the podcast, but they are sacrificing a lot of their own careers right now and, and taking a stand and not playing professional hockey so they can achieve something greater for the next generation and a professional women's hockey league under the NHL's guys is something that, um, you know, we're all hoping for at some point and what they're doing to sacrifice themselves to, to try and make that happen is incredible. And, and Nicole is just one of those fantastic women that is leading the charge and, and doing such a good job of it too. Yeah. I mean, she's a Banff. There's no doubt about it. And it's, it definitely breaks my heart, like working with her, like for so long where she hasn't played a game now. Um, but like her spirits are insane. Like every day she's in the gym, she's there to get better. Whenever she's going to play, she's going to be ready. Like, but yeah, I mean, she, you know, she was at the height of her career. She was named to the all-star game her first season in the NWHL signed with the Sabres, like, cause they owned the Buffalo Buttes. So like her deal was with the Sabres management type stuff, like just on top of the world, just coming off a gold medal. And she gave that all up to, to try and further women's hockey. I mean, are you kidding me? Like what an unbelievable human, like it's, it's, it's insane, but like, that's how much these women care about trying to leave the game better than when they found it. So, um, I mean, just massive props to her. Yeah. I mean, the, the movement that they have going on right now and, and, you know, you saw it back in the day when team USA stood up to USA hockey to fight for equality for what they had compared to what the men did and, and hockey Canada that happened a while back as well with, with the Canadian women too. And, um, it's just, it's, it's amazing that here we are in 2020 and you know still kind of fighting those battles. And there's obviously an economic side of it that, that needs to get rectified and figured out. But, um, I think just the the growth of women's hockey is better for all hockey as a whole. And what a great um, just untapped market for professional hockey, getting more women into it too. And the more they promote the game for the women, the more little girls are going to grow up seeing that and wanting to be involved in the sport and stuff. And, and, uh, that's why, you know, for, for you and I, and, and it means even more to me now with, with two little girls at, at home. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it is, it's amazing what they're doing and, and to be able to speak with them about it too. Uh, like we, we've been able to speak with some PWHPA members uh, about what they're doing. And um, it's just, it's so inspiring, man. It's so inspiring. Truth. That's all I got to say. Truth. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't add anything to that. Like it's, it's insane. Like to give up like all of that to, for the greater good. Like it is amazing and it's so selfless and you're right. I mean, just as hockey in general, like, how many women like don't watch a ton of sports or aren't like into sports like hockey, hockey could do so many good things by getting more women involved, coaching, you know, being team managers are already doing that, like getting on the ice with the kids. Like what's the difference between the dad who coaches who can barely skate and doesn't know anything hockey. And if a mom is out there, like nothing. So get out there. Don't be afraid, ladies. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Well, that's, I mean, that's a really, 
that's a really good topic that you mentioned because we talk about it with Nicole on the podcast, how, you know, as especially even youth organizations, we haven't been as open to having more women involved. And I, I think about it, you know, like as a hockey director now and, and seeing the, <laughs> the underbelly of how insane youth sports can be. And then if you think about it, you just replace like legitimately, like replace all these stuffy old dudes that are running these organizations and, and, put like accomplished hockey moms in those roles, like how different would our sport be? Like, seriously, if you think about it, like women run this sport from like the shadows, but if we got them out of the shadows and into actual authority positions as coaches, as um, not just managers, but coaches and presidents and as, as a part of USA Hockey and Hockey Canada, like more women at the table uh, of the leadership positions, like our sport would be so much better. And you look at any study ever that's been done on productivity and, and business and, and everything like that, the more diversity in the leadership room, the more productivity out on the floor. And so like we need more women involved and, and these women are doing such an amazing job of, of fighting for that. And they're doing such an amazing job for, you know, making it, making it okay for women to be at these positions because they've been doing such a great job. I mean, it's very sexist to say, but like the problem, I mean, obviously they have better maternal instincts because they're uh, mothers and women, but like they, <laughs> their, their maternal instincts would probably write a lot of, a lot of these wrongs that happen with like the backdoor deals and like, you know, politics and you know, all that stuff where it's like, shut up, let's be for the kids or coaches that just want to win. Maybe the maternal instincts would make it more about the kids versus about the coaches or about the record or about super teams. I mean, maybe yeah. I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know. It seems like it would make a little bit more sense to me. Oh well, yeah. I mean, just, Hockey moms, they, they, they run the sport, man. I mean, we would not have a sport without them. Like how many hockey moms drive their kids to practice at 5:30 AM? I would imagine a vast majority of the percentage of parents that drive kids to, to those practices early are, are the moms and, uh, they're there for, I mean, they're there for everything. And so, uh, we need more women involved in leadership positions. We absolutely do. So for, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of women listening to these episodes, um, fight for, fight for your spot at the table. And we're here to support you every step of the way. There's a lot of people that are there to support you every step of the way, even though, um, it may not seem like there's openings and there may not seem like it's, uh, there's a spot for you. Um, you got to fight for it and we'll help you. That's why we're doing these podcasts, man. You got to fight for your right to hockey. That's what was going on in my head while you were saying that. You gotta <laughs> fight. You, uh, you gotta fight. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> <sir>. uh, <laughs> uh, no, I mean this this whole series is gonna be is gonna be awesome. You know, you get Nicole Hensley, uh, Olympic gold medalist. Uh, you got Jaina Hefford, who's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, she's won four gold medals uh, in the Olympics for Team Canada. Um, Order of Hockey in 2019, uh, she got that award and and uh, is at that leadership position at the table up there. You got Teresa Feaster, who is uh, just got named to uh, the World Junior staff for Team USA as a woman. Uh, such an incredible.
incredible story right there. And then Maura Crowell gave uh, some unbelievable insight into women's college hockey. And, and uh, she's a national coach for Team USA as well. So uh, just four great women. We got some other great stuff going on. We got uh, Alyssa Gallardi, who's a part of the Hockey Think Tank. Uh, we're doing a YouTube 10 questions with her. Uh, we're going to do some Instagram lives with some big time uh, players and, and coaches as well. And so um, we, we, uh, we want to be at the forefront, like we said, of, of helping to promote the women's hockey game and, uh, and getting a chance to, to speak with these women about the game and their journeys and their stories has been, uh, has been incredible. Yeah, man, this is going to be a sick, sick run of unbelievable women in hockey. And hopefully it gets a lot, uh, a lot of young girls and parents more excited for the women's game. Yeah, for sure. So uh, we're really, really excited to have the PWHPA uh, as our sponsor for this series and the work that they're doing across the U.S. and Canada to elevate the women's game and try to bring people together. Um, we're very, very honored to have them as a part of it. Uh, we also want to thank Gel Sticks, uh, our title sponsor for the podcast. Uh, they've supported everything that that we have done and uh, and will continue to do so. And we appreciate their support for our podcast. Uh, we appreciate the support from Train Heroic as well. Jeff's fitness app. Jeff, what's the number? What are you guys at now? Uh, haven't looked in a hot man. I think like five seventy. I have on there five seventy six, something like that today. Nice, nice. So, uh, train heroic, the training app that Jeff has his programs on. So, um, go there, get the app on your phone and you can get Jeff Lavecchio, uh, bunch of, bunch of videos, some with the shirt on, some without. <laughs> no, all with the shirt on. I kept it real. Oh, but yeah, I'll tell you what, I won't lie to you. I did take like five videos without the shirt on and then talked with my camera guy and my editor. And I was like, you know what? Let's keep our game tight here, boys. Let's go. Let's just go. <laughs> let's go tarps on for this. And uh, maybe I'll come out with a specific series that's called like tarps <laughs> optional or something. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Um, but with that too, you know, we, we obviously have a lot of people to thank for, for this podcast still going on, but the biggest people we have to thank is, is you, the listeners. And, uh, you know, we appreciate so much your support for what we're doing to try and make the, the game of hockey a little bit more positive, uh, through not just what we talk about, but I, I think the biggest part of it is, is the, the great guests that we're able to bring on here. And, uh, through this outstanding women in hockey series, you're going to hear from some just incredible, incredible hockey people and so we're very very fortunate and very very excited to bring you guys this series and uh, with that shall we get over to uh nicole hensley we shall <laughs> all right so without further ado here we go with nicole hensley we are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, Olympic gold winning Team USA goalie, Nicole Hensley. Nicole, how are you doing today? Uh, not too bad. How are you guys? Doing well, doing well. And uh, we're excited to get you on here and, and uh, you know, have to apologize first. The fact that you have to, you know, Jeff is your trainer and, and that has to suck but um it is what it is but uh, we so appreciate your time and coming on and, and what we like to do at the start of every podcast just to introduce you to our listeners that don't know you is love to take it way back and and tell the story about how you fell in love with the great game of hockey so you grew up uh, in colorado uh, not necessarily a hockey hotbed but getting there for sure um what made you fall in love with the game out there 
Yeah. So, uh, when I was a kid, actually across the street, um, there was a boy that was always out in the cul-de-sac, like had a net rollerblades stick, just always out there playing. And, um, so I started, you know, what I, I would be outside doing my own stuff. And one day he was like, Oh, do you want to, you want to come play? Like, like throw some blades on let's play. And so that's how I got into it was playing with him and his dad was a coach. So one day he went up to my parents and was like, Hey, like, do you want to let her try it for real? Um, and that was around the same time the abs won the cup in 2001. So hockey did kind of, uh, get, get big out there during that time. So that was kind of how it started. I, I started out as a player, um, just, you know, not really knowing anything about it. My parents are from like Kansas city, Missouri. They didn't play hockey or anything. So they had no idea what they were getting into. And, um, yeah, so we passed the pads on that team. So everyone got to try it. And uh, I played goalie one game that year. And I don't remember much about it other than I liked that you got to play the whole game and the equipment was really cool. And uh, so from there, I just kind of progressively started leaning towards playing goalie and played uh, boys hockey up until I was a sophomore in high school and then switched over to, to the girls game as a junior and senior to, to kind of get seen college-wise. Uh, and yeah, ended up getting recruited to, to Lindenwood and uh, things just kind of snowballed from there. That's incredible. And uh, it, it's fun. How, how different, because we've had other women on the podcast before and talked about the differences between, between boys and girls hockey um, and, and when to make that switch. Um, but from a goalie standpoint, a little bit different, uh, obviously a much different position. So what was it like when you moved over from the boys side to the girls side? Was it a pretty big adjustment for you? Uh, I, I would say it, it actually was uh, to a degree, obviously, you know, there's, you're on ice and skates and in between the boards, it's, it's pretty similar, but the biggest differences I saw were, you know, with the checking, obviously guys are ready to get hit when they come into the zone. And so they either look to dump it or shoot it pretty quickly. They're not going to try and dangle through you. Right. And that's something the girls will do more of. Uh, it's a little bit more finesse in that way because they can hold on to the puck longer. So you have to be a little bit more patient, hold your feet longer, that sort of stuff. Um, I would say, yeah, that's the biggest difference. I think um, as you get older and playing in the higher the higher levels, the the shots are. I, mean, I won't say completely similar, but uh, high level the high levels can can shoot the shoot the puck really well. So that's definitely closing the gap there. But um, yeah, I would say the biggest difference is the girls will hold on to the puck longer, and they'll you have to be a lot more patient. So maybe are are most of the shots then in the higher level of women's game, is it, would it be fair to say that they're more quality shots then? Cause players are maybe holding it on, holding onto it longer. Like you said. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would definitely say so. I, I don't think the women's game necessarily has the mentality of just like throwing everything on the net. I mean, obviously still no shots, a bad shot, but uh, I think the, a lot of the players at the higher levels are pretty selfless too, in the sense that they're going to look to make a play, which again go, comes into a goaltender's having to uh, be patient. That's really cool. Well, I want to, I want to add to that. Let's talk a little puck here. Let's talk a little hockey. Cause uh, I just got off a of call. It's like the greatest hour of my life. So I, uh, I just You're got such off. such a nerd. What? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> 
Anyways, so I just got off a call. It was a call for charity. We're doing a charity hockey game up here in New York um, to benefit a uh, school for kids with special needs. And so we put together a call with uh, Ron Francis, Joe Neuendyke, Adam Graves, and Mike Richter. So I got to moderate it, which was unbelievable, and then just kind of asked them about their careers and how they got through and things like that. But Mike Richter said something that was really, really interesting that I wanted to ask you. And he said it wasn't necessarily the guys that he was scared of were the ones like the Ovechkins that had the shots that the really heavy shots, the guys who scared him were the smart playmakers. He said, those were the guys that really confused me. And those were the guys that when they had the puck coming into the zone, like the, he just, he got nervous, a little bit more nervous. Um, so as a goaltender, like I never would have thought that um, as a player, but as a goaltender, how would you evaluate that statement? And what do you think about that? Uh, I think anyone, you know, you always talk about being a triple threat, like drive, shoot, pass. Anyone who is deceptive enough for you to not necessarily 100% know what they're going to do makes it makes it a lot tougher on a goaltender. If I know you're a shooter, I'm going to probably be a little bit more aggressive to you um, try to take away those angles. But if you're someone who, um, has the ability to look me off or look the defenseman off and still hit their spots and different things like that, it, it's definitely, uh, makes the goaltender's job a lot more challenging. I love that. I love that. And, and I want to add to that too, because so many people like that aren't familiar with the goaltending position, think it's, you know, an athletic position and you just make saves and things like that. But hearing you talk, it's very clear you have hockey sense. And that's something that people don't talk about enough when it comes to goaltenders. They think you need to be athletic and big and, 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 and agile to be a good goalie, but you know, and weird. As, and weird. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, but talk a little bit about that from, from like a hockey sense standpoint, like, um, as one of the top women's goalies in the world, um, what's important to you from a hockey sense standpoint, when you're looking to read a play and, and then figuring out how to make a certain save selection on a certain save? Yeah, I think for us, um, you know, our ability to react and read the shot, especially, um, like, like if you look at me and Maddie Rooney, like Maddie Rooney's five, five on five, six. So we don't necessarily take up uh, the net like Ben Bishop does, but um, <laughs> so we have to be able to, to be really smart and make up for, you know, what we lack in height, I guess. Uh, so, you know, is there, as like on a rush, if somebody's coming to the zone, you know, obviously you're seeing how many players you have, how many they have. Um, who do we have on the back check? Are they close enough to actually take away that stick? Uh, what hand is everyone, you know, kind of where are the passing options? If you know enough about the other team, like who is, is the person holding onto the puck? Are they mostly a shooting threat or did they look to make plays? Um, and then I think a lot of it too, is kind of knowing the patterns, uh, you know, do they look for that F3 high a lot? Um, are they typically, you know, shoot, shoot far pad, get a rebound kind of team. Like, what are they, what are they going to do? You know, Canada plays different than Finland. Finland plays different than, um, you know, Russia. So those things are obviously really important to know. And then, you know, that goes down to the college game too, depending on who you're playing and and different things like that to just kind of know those little patterns is huge. That's a lot going on in there. (laughs) Yeah. Not, we're not just athletic freaks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, how about, how about an individual shooter? Cause Toph and I have talked about this on the podcast before, and I didn't realize until I was a, f- a freshman or sophomore in college that goalies were looking at my stick blade 
And then I started to kind of like try and be deceptive with it. Everybody's talking about deception now in hockey, but like if you can be deceptive with your shot, like what are you looking at when a shooter is coming down on you and maybe it's a breakaway or maybe it's just like a clear lane from them shooting at you. Are you looking at only their stick? Are you looking at their skates? Are you looking at their shoulders? Like what, what's going on there? Um, I mean, I mean, I think there's certain tells that a person's about to shoot. Um, and it's something that when you get to this level, you've just seen it, you know, a million times. And so it's kind of like, you're not exactly thinking about it. It's just like, you know, something clicks in your head, like this kid's about to shoot. But I think if you look at now, a lot of the skill-based shooting stuff for players, you know, it's not just your classic, like, you know, three or four ways to shoot the puck. People are trying to shoot all kinds of different ways at very awkward times, the weather, the puck's way too far out, way too far in. So that makes it a lot more challenging too, that shooters are realizing that goaltenders are looking for where the puck is on their stick and different things like that so that they can score more goals. And I think it's always like goaltending compared to shooting is always a cat and mouse game. Like shooters will do something to change. Then goaltenders will catch up with it. And then when, you know, the other way around, goaltenders will start doing something. So shooters will change something. And so it's just like this big game of cat and mouse and you just, you know, try and, you know, like we said, like get the patterns down and different things like that to, to try and stay ahead of the game. So what are, what are maybe some things that you're doing right now in, in your career to kind of stay ahead? You know, where do you see the goaltending position maybe going in the next three to five years or so? Um, I think honestly, it's, it's a lot of um, the little details, um, especially at those high levels, like um, the, we started doing some visual training stuff and like actually working on your eyes as a muscle day in and day out. And that was pretty like telling to me to learn what my eyes were good at and what they weren't and how that affected, you know, my ability to track the puck and the things around me. Uh, so that's been pretty cool. Just something, you know, I don't think two years ago, anybody was really talking about. Um, and at the same time, I think you're seeing a lot of, a lot of changes within, um, you know, the way the game's thought about, like I had somebody recently tell me like, uh, you know, if the shooter's in the slot, like you actually have probably more of an advantage than they do because you're, that's the biggest you can be when they're in close the closer someone gets to you, you know, and I'm to, to a goaltender, usually it's like the pucks within 10 feet of you. It's like a red light going off in your head. Like this is a prime scoring area, but I think just, I think the mindset's just changing that, you know, like to think of yourself and to figure out exactly where you have the advantages. And I think that's where a lot of the technology stuff's coming into using an iPad as a mirror to show goaltenders how big they are in net. And just that alone, I think gives kids so much more confidence because they, they see how big they are. Right. And then I think the other big thing is, is the mental side of it. So much like, so many more people are paying so much attention to, you know, like what is confidence? How do you keep that? Um, and, and things like that. And how do you bounce back after a bad goal? And I think that's, that's where the gains are going to be made in in the position, I think in the next three to four years. Yeah, that's amazing stuff. Now, do you have one of the things that I've heard from a lot of goalie coaches is uh, having a routine after a goal let up. So like something that can kind of just check you back into it, get you in the right mindset, almost forget about it. Do you have a little bit of a routine and maybe after a mistake or maybe after letting up a goal that kind of refocuses you? Yeah, I think I usually like uh, just take my helmet off and kind of just reset, put it back on. It's kind of like you put it 
you're putting it back on for the first time, you know, uh, forget about what just happened. I, I might skate to the corner. Um, usually I honestly try to smile because it's like one of those things where, you know, like just doing that, just the muscles and the different things it does to your body is, is so helpful. So, um, yeah, that's definitely something I do. And I'll also just throughout the game, like I'll skate to the corner and on the way back, like I'll do a 360, which sounds funny, but I saw Mark Andre Fleury do it once. And, you know, if you watch him play at all, you know that he's having a blast every time he's on the ice. And that was something that I was like, sometimes I think we get so into how competitive and, you know, what's expected of us and different things that we forget that it's supposed to be fun. So I kind of was like, yeah, like, how can you not be having fun if you're spinning in a circle? Like, (laughs) it's, it's honestly like silly little things like that. I think that, that helps. So that's kind of, that's kind of what I do. That's awesome. Well, let me ask you this because we have your, your, uh, your big boy trainer right over here, uh, (laughs) on the other side of this call too. I I feel like coaches that can really find that balance between challenge and fun are the best coaches. Um, whether they know certain times to do both or they're able to, uh, uh, accommodate both in a certain drill where there's some compete to it, but there's some fun to it, you know, and I have to imagine that working out for Vex, that's something that he does really, really well. Um, so can you, can you maybe speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think, um, you know, especially during the summer, going to the gym can get so just old and mundane and you get sick of it. But I think, we, we do a competition drill every single day, be it hand-eye or a relay race or last, I remember last summer, we almost did like a mini obstacle course throwing a football, like just something like that to, you know, get, get the morale up. And I think that's something that, that makes it a lot of fun. And, and when he does it too and gets involved and, you know, you get to beat him, that's like one of the best parts, especially. Let me but, get that dagger out of my back. <laughs> yeah, real quick. Then. But yeah, I mean, I think that's that's half the battle, especially with um, you know with younger athletes too. I think is showing them that yeah, like we are serious and we get the work done, but it's okay to have fun, and there are ways to be you know spark that competitive fire throughout the summer too. Until Nicole is one of the only people I've ever hired to work with me too, so she trains uh, some, some triple A women's hockey players in St. Louis under my company's umbrella. So, um, throughout every training session, she's always, she started even just like always asking questions. I mean, she went to school to be a, to be a certified strength coach anyways. Like she's a genius, but she's, she's knows all these little tricks because she's somebody who like goes out of her way to find those little things. How can I like, the things that she does outside on her own, outside of what the team makes her do, it's unbelievable. And there's a reason she is where she is, but like, she's the same mindset. I didn't even know she did that circle thing, you know, after she gets scored on, but like that, doesn't that just sound like that makes sense. Smiling does release certain chemicals in your brain. So it's like, it's like a little hack. You're doing like a little bit of a life hack, a little bit of a confidence hack, get yourself back into the game where I think, kids even pros something bad happens and you just you get so tense and you're like ah you know it's like man it's a game too right yeah what was it like i think we talked about it maybe it was somebody else but we talked about the smiling mindful breath like try taking a breath and smiling and being upset it's literally (laughs) impossible you just take take a second 
take a breath and make sure you're smiling when you do it. It doesn't like I, I've been in some pretty crappy moods <laughs> or been pissed off. laughing and then you do yeah. it and it's like, yeah, it, it just kind of reconnects you. So it's pretty funny. Um, well, that's all good stuff, Nicole. So you're, you know, you grew up in Colorado. I have to imagine you, that was a pretty cool moment to watch Bork, uh, lift the cup there in 2001. Uh, but that got you to Lindenwood university, which is division one, uh, women's hockey program. And, uh, you had some, amazing years there in all American. What were some things that you took out of, um, you know, being a division one goaltender there? And if you have any advice for, for girls that want to play at the D one level, what would some advice to them be? Yeah, I think, um, I, I was really fortunate in, you know, getting, getting a spot at Lindenwood. I think, uh, it's a little bit different now, but I didn't commit to them until, March or April of my senior year. So like six months before I was going to school, that was my only division one offer. And I think, um, you know, for, for me, it was the recruiting process can be tough. You know, it, it's tough to get on the phone and then over and over again, have somebody tell you like, you're not big enough. You're not this, you're not that we don't need a goalie in your year. And, um, you know, it can get pretty discouraging. And, and I think my best piece of advice is, to surround yourself with people that like want you to succeed, that want to help you succeed. Not people that are going to lie to you and tell you you're great when you're not, but people that are going to help put in the time and the effort. Cause I was fortunate that, that that's what my, uh, my coach did for me when I was a junior and a senior, she was like, she had said like, no, you're a division one goaltender. I'm going to get you there. And so having that, having someone that knew what she was doing, that believed in me was, was huge. And obviously you know, my family's support at the time was, was huge, but, um, as well, but just, I think, you know, not allowing someone to just tell you no and to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Um, I mean, when I was, I, when I got to Lindenwood, I had two sophomores ahead of me. And so my mindset going in, you know, it, you, you going in, you're the low man on the totem pole. Now, um, my expectations for playing were pretty low, but my expectations for myself were pretty high. I came in and my thought was, okay, these two older girls are not going to be on the ice. Like without me, I'm never going to let them be on the ice getting better when I'm not. And I'm going to try and get out there early or stay late and know that I'm outworking them. Does that mean I'm more talented than them? Maybe not, but it means that I'm at least putting in that extra effort and, you know, coaches notice that kind of stuff. Again, doesn't mean you're going to play, but it's also if it comes down to it and they're like, well, this kid's been working their butt off, so we're going to give them a shot. You know, like you're never going to hurt yourself working hard. So I think that was big for me. And then I just kind of got fortunate in the fact that our starter broke her collarbone a week before our first game. And um, thankfully, seized my opportunity when I had it. And, um, you know, I think that's another big lesson is you just never know who's watching. Um, that was how I got into the national team program was I had a really good game against Robert Morris university and their assistant coach was Marie McLaughlin Biddle, who's was a two-time silver medalist with team USA. So she saw me play and called USA hockey and was like, Hey, this, this kid should come to goalie camp. So, you know, I think it's, again, goes to show like you, you really don't know who's watching, whether you're in high school, college, you know, how you react to bad goals, how you react to, teammates messing up different things like that like there's always people watching and um you know you want to put your best foot forward every time you're on the ice or in the rink 
Vex, should we just put that last three minutes on repeat and just <laughs> play that over and over and over again? What do you think? Just tell every kid to listen to that. <laughs> like 200. Vinny, I hope you're listening. Our, our uh, cousin who does all Tope's uh, clipping for the podcast. Let's get this going. <laughs> There's some clips in there, baby. <laughs> Uh, that's, I, that's, oh my God, that's such good advice. And, and, uh, you know, we, the stuff we talk about all the time too. surround yourself with people and you even said it too, not necessarily people who are going to tell you that you're good all the time when you're not people who are honest with you, but people who believe in you. I mean, I think that goes such an, such a long way. All three of us can probably sit here and, and go back to like the coach that you were talking about, Nick, that just believed in you. And, and was willing to put in the time and effort to, to help you as well. It's one thing to say that they, you believe in somebody, but it's another thing to actually show it and actually put in the time to do it. So um, now do you take that now as a, um, like, you know, you, you're an Olympic goaltender, you want a gold medal. Do you, do you take it as a responsibility with where you've been to impart some of that on some of the younger women that are coming up in the game today now as well? Yeah, I, I mean, definitely. I think um, that's something that that uh, team our our team that or the national team always talks about is we want to leave the game in a better place than we found it. Um, so I think that you know a lot of that is um, you know being a part of the being being willing to go talk to you know younger hockey players, being able to be a good role model for a U18 kid that's at a camp trying to make, you know, U18 worlds and things like that. Like it's, you know, it's kind of our responsibility to make sure that the, the, you know, things we want our program to reflect and the way we want our program to run, like continues to do so. That's so awesome. Toph Nicole's literally one of the best role models ever. I've only hired two people for my company and she's one of them, but, uh, I want to go back to you talking about how late you got your commitment to school too. Like the Tof and I talked to so many kids who are just like freaking out that they're in juniors. They're going to juniors and they haven't committed yet. And it's like, you know, how about going so into midgets? Yeah. You know, and they're freaked out and they don't have this and they don't have that. And it's like, just keep getting better every day. Like Tof, So she committed six months before she was going to be on campus Nicole had, or, or there's some kind of controversy, but she had like the most saves in all of college. Hot. What was the record? Like that with the asterisk you have kind of, what is that record? <laughs> um, well, I have two with an asterisk. Um, one Took your was, skate off and tried to kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Something like that. No, uh, <laughs> no, I, I have 4,094 saves, I think for my career at, at Lindenwood, which is the most ever for NCAA division one. But, and then the other one is my freshman year, I had a game where I had 92 shots and I had 90 saves, which was the most saves ever in a division one game. But that doesn't count, I guess, because it was during Lindenwood's transition period from club to D one. So there's like two years of a transition period and it was during the second year. So they don't count. <laughs> Which I don't they know why. Against, so like they were against D1, D1 teams, schedule. though, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know, but yeah. How was, many? That had to have been an overtime game. Uh, yeah, it was, it was triple overtime. It was like okay. two to one. <laughs> My, I think the most I had in in a three period game was against North Dakota, and it was either seventy two or seventy six. 
Yeah, no. she was getting shelled every game and just denying everybody. Like, so let's let's talk about that though, because you talk about mental toughness to as a goaltender to face that many shots in a game, whether it's seventy in a three period game or ninety in a in a uh, a triple overtime game. How do you stay mentally focused and sharp when your mind is going on you? Because you know, for goalies, especially goalies that are taking a lot of shots, I mean, for players, when, when you're getting tired, your mind's the first thing to go before your body. So how do you train and condition yourself to be able to handle that kind of workload when, when you're getting so much rubber thrown at you? Yeah, I think, I mean, conditioning is huge part. Uh, but I think, I think honestly for goaltenders, like the more pucks we see, like I'd rather a game where I'm seeing like 30 to 40 shots because you're just in a groove, you're in the zone. Um, and it's just so comfortable. You're in it. You don't go like five minutes or whatever without a shot. Like that was one of the things I struggled with when I first uh, made the national team actually was to go from having that many shots to like 15 <laughs> and trying to like, you know, sometimes you haven't had a shot in five minutes and then it's a breakaway. And, you know, if you're playing Finland and Noratu is playing unreal at the other end, you have to make that breakaway save to win the game. Right. So it's, it's like, um, I actually think, and I think a lot of goaltenders would say that getting less shots is actually way more challenging and trying to figure out how, you know, to stay engaged when the pucks at the other end. Like I found out, I found for me that, just talking to my D and talking to the team the whole time. Like, even if they're at the other end, I'm still like yelling things. Is it helpful? Probably not from there, but um, can they hear me? I don't know, but it keeps me engaged um, and playing the puck a lot. Like anytime I think I can go out, play the puck, help us break out anything like that, just to get like a touch. Those are two things I found that they keep me engaged, but yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather see 30 than, than like 10, you know? So <laughs> For sure. Your coaches don't, but you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, you mentioned, you know, the national team Vex and, and you got the chance to win a gold medal in Pyeongchang in 2018 in dramatic fashion, to say the least. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about that experience, what it was like, uh, you know, being able to win the gold medal, doing it against Canada, your guys' rival in such a, an amazing fashion. Was that, a, that had to have been an unbelievable experience. Yeah, it was, um, you know, just uh, as a kid growing up like that, especially as a, a female hockey player, like that's what you dream about is is going to the Olympics and, and winning a gold medal. And I think, um, you know, we had a really great group. Um, I think everyone got along really well and, and uh, you know, still really, really tight with a lot of those girls. And um, I think that was probably the coolest thing going into the going into the final game, right, where down two to one going into the third period and just kind of to be in our locker room. I think, you know, from the outside world, everyone's, you know, our parents are sweating. Everyone's freaking out. Like they're losing. There's 20 minutes left. This biggest game of their life. And in our locker room, like we had people cracking jokes. Like it was, it was very loose. And I think, you know, there, we had half, half of us that were kind of younger and hadn't been to an Olympics before. And the other half that was older and had been there and knew what it was like to lose. And so there was a very good balance of, you know, like we don't want, we don't want to lose. We want this gold medal with kind of almost a bit of naive, like we're just going out and playing hockey and we love it. And we don't know what it's like to lose. We don't have that fear necessarily. So it was a very good balance. And I think nobody tried to do or say more or kind of out of what their norm was. 
So the people that were usually cracking jokes were cracking jokes. The people that like to listen to their music and, you know, zone in, that's what they were doing. And I think that showed in the, the third period, we third period overtime, we started to take over that game and, um, you know, Zab played really, really well for them in overtime. Otherwise we might've been able to win it then. And, and, uh, obviously the shootout, um, honestly was really good for women's hockey across, you know, the, the world, because it was, it was so dramatic and it was such a crazy finish that there were so many people paying attention to it. And, uh, yeah, Maddie, Maddie made that last save and it was just, but it's, it was just like screaming, you know, that's all I really remember is everyone screaming, a sea of like blue hugging each other and just so much crying. And it was really cool to see, um, you know, the girls that had been on this team for eight to 10 years trying to win that and being able to do that with them was pretty cool. That's unreal. Vax, do you remember? So, so Nick, the first, the first ever podcast interview we did was with Kendall Yeah, and it's amazing. Your, your rendition of the story about going in in between the second and third period of that game was the exact same story that she told. And it was really cool. Cause we ended up talking about how important it is. Number one, the mentorship side of it, you know, you had the younger girls to, that were looking up to the older girls, but the other side too, is that everybody felt comfortable being themselves. And we live in, in a coaching era now where I sit here as a coach and you look at all the top coaches and that's what they're talking about. It's not necessarily a top-down authoritarian, everybody conformed to the same stuff. It's providing an environment where everybody can feel safe to be themselves. And I just feel like that's such a cool thing to hear you talk about that story and hearing Kendall talk about it when we talk to her. Like that culture that you guys created with the mentorship, but also just the authenticity that you were able to able to share with each other as teammates, like that, how cool is that to be a part of? And it's, that has to be something you, I, I can see you getting into coaching at some point, you know, whether it's a strength coaching, like Jeff was talking about or coaching women's teams or coaching men's teams. Um, is that something that, that holds a lot of water to you as well? Yeah, I think, you know, I think, um, even just looking to myself over the course of my career and different things when, when you're happy off the ice is generally when you're playing your best. Um, and I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of factors that go into that and you have to be able to control, control some of that. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, having a more cohesive group and a group that cares and cares about each other is going to win you more games than X's and O's ever will. Um, you know, I think, I think getting that buy-in from everyone and, and treating everyone like a human being, I think those are, especially like you said, like in today's game, like those are the things that, that are going to win you championships. And, um, you know, like, and, and it's true what they say, you're, you're not going to remember how many games you won or lost. You're going to remember like the people and how people made you feel and what you did with those people away from the rink or, you know, the different moments like that that happened. So, um, yeah, I think creating an environment, like you said, where everyone can be, can be themselves is comfortable, comfortable being themselves, but wants to be the best version of themselves are, are the teams that are going to be the most successful. And what about his coaching question or scouting or something? I, I talk to Nick about this every time I see her talk, but I'm like, <laughs> Nick, you need to get into professional speaking. You need to get into coaching. You need Seriously, to get into scouting. You, I'm not like, even, I, yeah, you do. <laughs> I am I'm Nick's biggest fan. I bought her a t-shirt, the Buffalo Buttes t-shirt that that they were selling like she definitely she's somebody who needs to coach 100% or scout or something in hockey. Yeah, I definitely enjoy 
uh, enjoy that side of it. Enjoy like, um, you know, that, that is kind of why I like the strength coaching side so much is you get to help people, you know, get better, maybe not, you know, even for a hockey standpoint, but just a life standpoint. And I think that's something that, uh, I, I've always enjoyed and, uh, definitely want to go into something of that effect, but <laughs> not sure quite what. <laughs> well, let me ask you this because I think this is a really important question. So circling back to your coach in Colorado, the one that had such a big influence on you, it really, it hit home for me. Cause you said, she, you didn't say he, you said, she It was a women's coach. And I'm a hockey director of a youth organization right now. One of the biggest things that I'm struggling with, because we're really trying to revamp and really promote our, our women's program because it's been kind of second fiddle for a long time. That's the way it's been treated. And that's not something that's uncommon for us. I mean, that happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how would you go about, maybe, maybe I'm asking you advice here as a hockey director. How would you go about trying to get more women involved in leadership positions in, in hockey, because I look at boardrooms. I even look at USA hockey. It's, it's all men for the most part. And how can we encourage, how can we get more women to, to really, um, you know, get into that leadership position process? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it is, is reaching out and connecting. You know, I think um, that's, that's one of the biggest things I think, women especially like for something like that to come back to something they love like they'll say yes but I I think sometimes there's a little bit of a fear because for a lot of different reasons and in a lot of different places it can be like kind of an old boys club and um I think just making sure you know being open-minded and being you know well aware that uh you know I think and not that I think that you yourself would ever have this issue but like making sure those voices are heard. I think, you know, a lot of times girls feel like they can't say anything, or I know for a long time for me, it was tough for me to go in and coach boys because you get to a certain age group and they don't want to listen to you, you know? Um, and doesn't matter what level you've played at. Like, so they're, you know, they're just like, you're a girl. I'm not going to listen to you. You So you see that like when you go yeah. in and you're coaching boys, that, that happens. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, uh, it's, it's kind of that like early, like early teenage years they're you know it's just kind of like eh, not interested in what you have to say necessarily so I think it's I think it is a changing it's not necessarily a hockey problem I think it's an everywhere problem just you know like a, res- a respect thing all the way around yeah I mean I've I've definitely seen that and I've had Nick in training with some of my younger guys uh before and they definitely respect her. There's no doubt about that, but not the way that I think they should be respecting her personally in the beginning until I like, Hey, that's an effing Olympical medalist. Cause in my head, I'm like, <laughs> all right, well, no, like seriously. Yeah. And you're probably sick of me saying that, but like, there's a respect that is 100% has been earned by her. Right. And so like, if there was a gold medalist male hockey player in there, they would be like trailing off every word that he's saying. And, you know, like, and I'm not saying by that's the, the, what I'm trying to create in the gym, but like there is, I do see that. And I'm like, Hey, like, and then she'll do something and they're like, Holy crap. Like, well, how did she do that? And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Like, that's why she's an Olympic gold medalist. Like show that respect. Like I want to kind of see that a little bit. Um, so I've definitely seen that at least in, in, in with my guys, maybe it needs to be like the, 
the male coaches, the, the heads of the organization need to not say like, Hey, you need to treat them like this, but like, just be like, Hey, like she knows what she's talking about. Like the best, one of the best three goalies in the world, four goalies in the world, or whatever. Hey, this, this so-and-so Veronica played division one. Like, have you, where have you played? You know, like listen to her, maybe the, the heads of the organization need to do things like that to kind of get in front of it. I, I don't know. Or is that too much, Nick? Yeah, I mean, I think I think sometimes the the background, like having the the guy, the younger kids having the background information is helpful. Um, you know, like so I I think anyone that comes in kind of out of nowhere and you don't know who they are, they're kind of like, well, what do you know? You know, so in some ways, being able to to introduce male or female, being able to introduce that person and you know start out with that level of respect. If you start that way, I think it goes a long way. And obviously just like you said, from the top down, if you see the top level doing that, your hockey director, your coach treating that person that way, um, it goes a long way. So I think even just, you know, if you've got from a coaching standpoint, just being like, Hey, like, what do you, what do you think? You know, like give them that platform to speak, um, showing, you know, your kids that you value that opinion. I think, I think that's, that's the best way to do it. I think it's just like anything, like, you can say one thing, but people are going to watch like what you're doing. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's earning it, but it's also, you know, it's standing up for what you believe in too. And, and you guys, the U S women's national team from a hockey standpoint, the soccer, the soccer women too. I mean, you guys went right back at USA hockey. What was that a few years ago when you didn't feel like you were being treated fairly. And it's funny because, you know, I've, I've, we talked about it with Kendall when we had her on the podcast and I've talked to other, other women about it. And it's funny how Kendall's podcast got some of the, you know, let's talk, tell them the older stale USA hockey guys. You know, I never really thought about it that way because they're so set. And that's why diversity in the boardroom and diversity in leadership positions doesn't matter hockey business, whatever, the more diversity you can have, the more diverse of thought and opinion you're going to have. And I absolutely loved it when you guys stood up to those guys and said, no, this is what we believe in. This is what we feel is right. This is what we feel is, is, is necessary to promote our game. And you guys continue to do an unbelievable job of that. How, how much do you, you see as a responsibility of growing the women's game is, is kind of standing up for what you believe in and standing up for equality in, in what you guys are doing. Yeah, I, I think that's huge. I mean, when you look back, that was in, um, 2017, yeah. um, there had been, uh, negotiations and different things with USA hockey since before I even joined the team. But when I did finally become a part of the team, um, you know, it was explained to me from one of our leaders what was happening, why it was happening, why we were going about it the way we were so that I understood. And there was that open communication. I think that's the biggest thing uh, that was, was the open communication we had and, and younger players who didn't know as much about it, being able to ask questions and learn and, you know, not feeling like, well, okay, I'm just going to do this because you told me to but understanding, you know, the thought and the reasoning behind it. And I think that was something that, you know, again, we're, we want to continue to do for um, the next generation. I think that's, you know, what you're seeing with professional hockey, professional women's hockey right now is, um, you know, like those of us in the PWHPA, like for us, we're, we're, we know we're not going to see the, a lot of the benefits of what we're trying to create, but that's not what's important to us. What's important to us is, you know, the 10 year old watching us play that they're going to be able to have all of that when they're 
when they're grown up, I guess. Well, can we, can we go into that too? Because I know Nick, I, I ask you all the time because Tolf asks these questions all the time and he's always bringing in women into the equation. Like I've asked you personally, what do we need to do better? Like, where are we messing up? Like, and you've told me you've been out of practices. We are like, why are we focusing on this? They're at this age or, or things like that. Like, how do we get to that level to where when these girls who are 10 now, they're stepping into something because they're so much better. I feel like the women's game is behind with coaching and things like that from what I've seen. So where do we need? I think, um, with, with, uh, the younger girls with, with youth, youth organizations. I think one of the issues I see is where, where parents will push their son on the ice or coaches will push their son. They, they don't do the same thing with their daughters. It's, you know, I've, I've ran a lot of, um, uh, on ice sessions for, for anywhere from, you know, U6 to U19 over the past couple of years. And you do see like, I, I have coaches come up to me and say, this drill is way too hard for them. Like they can't do this. And I was like, well, if we don't at least try it now, they're never going to be able to do it. Or, Oh, she, she can't do this. Let's, you know, she can't stick in like that. Let's, let's get the ring out for her. And I get, and don't get me wrong. I get that they need to feel success to want to continue to go to grow and want to play. But at the same time, there's a fine line between, you know, them being comfortable and them getting better. Um, so I think that's, that's a huge thing is, is the, just the difference in the way parents and coaches would treat a boy or a girl on the ice. Um, you know, so I think, I think that was a, that's a big thing. And then for the girls themselves, I think, um, you know, being able to see their role models is huge. Um, you have to, you have to be able to see what you want to become. Um, and I think we, so we talk a lot about visibility and, um, like our, our game this past season at uh, the rivalry series game in Anaheim, there were over 13,000 people at a women's hockey game. And that was the, um, and that was because Anaheim put a lot of effort into the marketing and getting people there. And then I was actually one of the players signing autographs after the game. And I had so many people come up to me and say, I've never been to a women's hockey game before. This is awesome. Like, when are you guys coming back? Like, I want to see this again. It was, it wasn't just one person. It was like every other person coming through that line. And so it's, you know, to me, that's, that's in, you know, Los Angeles, that's not a hockey hotbed. That's not a Chicago or out East or anything that's in a non-traditional market. And that many people showed up to a women's game and that many people were like, Hey, I'm going to come back to this. Like we believe in our product so much and, and, and know how good it is. Like we just need people in the, in the door and to do that, it, it needs the, the marketing and the media attention. Yeah, for sure. So what does that look like? You know, you talk about forming partnerships with certain people or certain companies and businesses and, and things like that. How, how can we better make women's hockey visible? Because I, I 100% agree. I think hockey in general as a sport is one that not enough people know about. And then when they walk into a rink and they see it happen live, they're like, holy crap, this is pretty cool. But I think it's to the 10th degree with the women's game too. Just for the, just for even like what you were talking about before, like people aren't almost expecting it to be good because it's a women's sport, but then they go and they see how hard you guys compete, how talented you are. And they're like, Holy crap, these women are really freaking good. <laughs> and so it is, it's like, it's an awesome product. So how, how can we make the sport more visible in your opinion? 
Yeah, I think I I think for the like the PWHPA, like all the games are streamed on on YouTube, and um, and then at the end of the year, we actually had ESPN as a streaming partner, and that was, you know, that's a pretty big market if if you can get to it. And I think ESPN showing they they're interested and they want that, like that's huge. It takes someone and takes organizations that have the infrastructure and can see the long term value in it. I think that's that's where, um, that's where the success lies is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a never ending circle. We say, we want more media. We need this and we need that. And they say, well, we don't want to just pour money into this. And then we're like, well, nobody puts money into it. Nobody's ever going to see it, you know? So it's just kind of a, a never ending circle. So I think it takes someone who understands the the long-term benefits, um, you know, to, to see where it's going to grow. Cause if you think about it, any, any family that has a daughter, if that daughter falls in love with hockey, well, you know, there's three tickets right there type thing. So it's, it's you know, such an untapped market. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, just like a young boy, he falls in love with hockey. There's three tickets. Like it's, a, it's the same thing on both sides. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Vex. This, it's your trainer here. What do you got here? I mean, I told you that we should have her on for all of this. She should just talk talk the entire podcast. I might have to, I might have to replace you with her. I don't know. (laughs) She is better than me. (laughs) No, but I want to go back, Nick, to what you were talking about earlier, because I have two daughters, one that's three years old. She's three going on 16. You guys can probably use her in your negotiations as you're going. She's pretty freaking good at it. Take her beats me up. Um, but I have a nine month old daughter too. And, uh, I, I think it's really, really cool how you guys are going about this in that it's not about you. It's about the next generation of women that are coming up and it's so admirable and it's going to make such an effect because what you guys are doing right now will have a direct effect in how I can parent my daughter. Um, when she gets to be of age where things like this are relevant to her and, and forget about hockey. I'm just talking about life stuff, standing up for what you believe in, believing in yourself, thinking about the, the, the greater good and, and uh, having a common goal with people to, to like, yeah, to exactly what you're talking about, standing up for yourself. And, uh, it's just, it's such an admirable thing. And, and I can't thank you enough as a dad with two daughters. Um, and I think there's probably dads with daughters that are listening to this right now that maybe aren't aware of the work that is going on behind the scenes that you guys are doing. And I encourage you, we've obviously talked a lot about it on this podcast, but there's articles written about it and there's so much stuff out there. Get involved, you know, get involved in, in, in knowing about the women's game and how amazing it is and what these women are doing to help promote and, and not even just further forget about women's hockey, but just the the game of hockey as a whole. I, I don't like when we talk about men's hockey and women's hockey, it's a freaking game. It's hockey. And it should be talked about as, as one. And you guys are doing an amazing job of keeping that going. And when my daughters become your age, Nick, I have a feeling because of the work that you guys are doing, we can talk about it more as the game of hockey and not men's and women's hockey. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, that's something at, at the NHL level, you're starting to see like Blake Bolden was hired as a, as a LA Kings scout, you know, kind of right before uh, all this all this happens. So, you know, they're seeing it at that level. And I think it'll just, you know, it's a trickle down effect. It'll continue to happen. And yeah. 
And Blake is uh, one of the coaches, just like I am, and just like you are on uh, Robbie Shrimp's new platform, eh? Forty Four <laughs> Vision, little tire pump for Nick there. People can go for you and and Shrimpy. People can go to Forty Four Vision uh, Hockey dot com and have Nick. Literally, she can cut their videos and and coach them and goalie coach them like anyone in the world. I think that's pretty cool that she's doing that. So um, really exciting that I'm happy that she'll be able to help some hockey players that way too. Yeah. Looking forward to it. I actually really enjoy cutting video and watching it. So (laughs) (laughs) as you, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about like spit and chicklets, how they always say no free ads. I feel like we are all free ads. <laughs> We're the exact opposite. I'll do, anything, I'll do anything to help Nick make money. I, you know, I, I'm much appreciated. I, much appreciated. There you go. There you go. Ooh, oh yeah. man. Well, Nick, the, the one thing I wanted to ask you at the end here, before we let you go, um, you know, you got the dream gap tour going on right now. I guess not really right now. Nobody has anything going on right now, but how, how successful do you think that dream gap tour has been in the promotion of the women's game and how much have you enjoyed being a part of it? Uh, it, it's been an absolute blast. Honestly, I had, I had so much fun at the, at the events I was able to attend. Um, obviously, you know, we're playing against some of the best competition in the world and, and getting to do that on a regular basis was, was awesome. And, uh, got to meet a lot of new people too. Um, got to, uh, be on a lot of teams with a lot of people I'd never, never met before played against a bunch, but, uh, so that in and of itself, just the networking piece of it was really cool. And, um, I think, you know, it was a good stepping stone this first year. I think we reached a lot of people. It was exciting to see how many young girls and, um, you know, were at the games and, and being able to see that high level of hockey. Um, and I think, you know, even this coming year, it's going to be more the same and it's going to be more competitive. It's going to be more, um, you know, more exciting. And I think that's, that's the goal at the end of the day is to create a great product and we're on our way to doing that. That's unreal. And, and, uh, did you have a favorite stop? Was there a favorite city? So for people who don't know what the dream, actually, we should probably do this for people who don't know what the dream gap tour is. Do you want to give a, like a little elevator pitch and in, into what it was you guys were accomplishing there? Yeah. So this year, uh, the dream gap tour was the professional women's hockey players association. We made different stops in cities all, all across the country to showcase, uh, you know, how good women's hockey can be, uh, when the word professional is treated like a verb rather than a noun. Um, and so what we, what we did was we'd create teams and there would either, there would be kind of a tournament atmosphere. So, um, I can, I was at, uh, in Chicago, Montreal and, um, Philadelphia this year. And I also, uh, actually, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly a, a showcase, but there was a group of us that went out to San Jose and played the San Jose Sharks alumni, um, in a, in a game to be out there with those guys. Um, it was so much fun and, and, uh, you know, kind of get to again, reach a community in a non-hockey market. And at all these stops we go to, uh, we generally run camps and, um, you know, connect with the community in that way too. So it's more than just, you know, girls showing up and seeing you on the ice. It's, it's also getting to work with us or talk to us and interact. And so, like we said, that piece is huge. And, um, you know, it's also really enjoyable for us to, to be able to see the smiles on their faces when, 
when they're watching or when we're chatting with them after and before a game. But uh, yeah, so stops all across the country to showcase, uh, you know, the best women's hockey in the world. Very cool. Did you get a chance to uh, meet Billie Jean King? Yes, uh, that was incredible. I got to meet her in, in Chicago and uh, having her, her guidance is, has been really helpful and, and um, you know, she's done so much for us and, and we can only, you know, thank her for that. It, it's cool to see how far things have come since she was, since she was playing, uh, playing tennis. And um, the fact that, you know, she's doing exactly what we want to be able to do. Um, you know, it's not necessarily in her sport, but for her to want to circle back and help women's sports continue to grow, that's exactly what all of us want to do. And just to kind of learn from her as a role model is really cool. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. But Very well, cool. Before we let you go, I have one last question. I think this is the third time I've said that, so I apologize. But uh, you have to have some kind of story to embarrass my co-host here. <laughs> just just <laughs> something that he's done, something that he said. Just, you know, he's, he's a walking highlight. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> A walking low light. <laughs> <laughs> is there, is there oh, one man. story maybe that sticks out that, uh, that our listeners would, uh, would enjoy? Well, I guess it's a, it's a reoccurring story. It's one of those, you're doing any, any exercise, obviously with Bex, it's huge. You have to turn on your core. So almost, you know, it, it happens probably once a week. It's like, okay, I'm going to take my shirt off. Watch how I turn on my core for this exercise. So like, yeah, <laughs> get it. you have abs. Like we get it. It's fine. <laughs> That's never happened. Oh God. Yeah. I love, I love the, like the, the Instagram posts where he like, he like takes a picture of the window, but he takes it like with his arm driving and you clearly yep. see his flexing bicep. Yeah. That's on purpose, man. It's called the inside joke, bro. Pretty sure he posted one of those yesterday. So. <laughs> <laughs> Toast just jealous. All right. Uh, all right. I get it. I, get I, it. I Well, I, I mean, there is some truth to that. There is some truth to that. You have earned <laughs> those biceps though. I have not earned, well, I have earned these non biceps. <laughs> they used to be there. Not so much anymore. Um, well, Nick, thanks so much for coming on. This was, this was unreal. Uh, you know, Jeff and I, sometimes we, we talk afterwards and I'm sure we will after this one. Sometimes we get an unreal feeling, you know, through these conversations. We have a feeling this one is going to hit home with a lot of people. So uh, we appreciate your, expertise we appreciate your passion for the game and we appreciate you so much for for coming on here and sharing your story yeah no problem thanks thanks for having me it's been looking forward to it for a while now so <laughs> perfect there'll be there'll be some extra 300s on your workout next week nick for that story don't worry that's fine i can probably use them <laughs> <laughs> all right good stuff thanks guys